Please take a copy of the Word of God and find your place in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Rachel, for that. What a wonderful, wonderful song that was. It truly ministered to my heart. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Today I'm beginning a new book series through this wonderful letter to the church at Corinth. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth uh, in such capacity that he was wanting to encourage them in their commitment to Jesus Christ. They were committed to a lot of things, but the things that they were committed to were more important than their commitment to God. Listen to me, dear friend. I hope if you don't get anything else, I hope you'll get this this morning. What God wants more than anything is for you to be committed to Him. In this world that we live in, there's a lot of things that we're committed to. You think about it. We're committed to family. We're committed to marriage. We're committed to our job. We're committed to our school. We're committed to sporting events, commitments to our children's sporting events. Uh, We are committed to our diets, or some of us maybe more than others. But there's a lot of things that demand our commitment, and we commit ourselves to these things. And the same with the church at Corinth. They had committed themselves to certain things. As a matter of fact, when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, the overarching thing that they were committed to more than anything was their gifts. They were committed to their gifts. So much so that they were more committed to the gifts than the gift giver. You see, when we're committed to God, then God will use the giftedness that He gives to us and it will be just like a conduit. It will run through us and out of us. God cannot use someone that's just committed to their gifts. You'll find a self-centered individual that will be just absolutely committed to their selves and their own personal interest and not to God. The reason why the gospel is so powerful is because it is a Christ-centered gospel. It's a commitment to Him, a commitment that He made to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, is calling for them to be more committed To God. We find that Corinth was a very important and wealthy city. Uh, It sat on the isthmus there, separating northern and southern Greece. The Apostle Paul spent 18 months there on his second missionary journey, and he established a church there known as the church at Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, we have a considerable amount of detail uh, about what Paul did there at Corinth. Yet we also know that when he left Corinth, He wrote them a letter, a letter that we do not have today. You see, there were actually three letters that were written to the Corinthian people. We do not have the first letter. It is gone. we, We don't know what happened to it. It's gone. So 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that we have. So how do you know about this first letter if it was gone and lost and missing? Well, if you don't mind, look in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And look at verse number 9. Here's the evidence that Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth that is lost. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Look at what he says there in the text. He says, I wrote, there's a past tense word, I wrote unto you an epistle. The word epistle there is where we get our English word letter. I wrote a letter to you not to company with fornicators. So Paul wrote a letter before 1 Corinthians that he sent to the church to say, listen, you got to be careful with the sexual revolution that's happening in your city. You do not need to keep company with them. You do not need to be participating 
in what's going on in this sexual revolution. God wants you to be pure. God wants you to be committed to your spouse. And so he wrote this letter, and it's gone now. We don't have it, but the context by which we have, we do know what he was saying. So Paul then writes 1 Corinthians as a response to some moral and ethical issues that the Corinthians were having. Some of these issues that they were having a struggle with were the divisions in the church. In chapters 3 and 4, there were some divisions that were taking place inside the body of Christ. And Paul had to deal with these divisions. And so he was saying that, listen, you need to be committed more to Christ. And if you're committed more to Christ, then there will not be divisions inside the local body. You may have disagreements, but you'll handle those disagreements biblically. And when you biblically handle a disagreement, the outcome will always be forgiveness. In chapter 5, he deals with sexual immorality. I'm sure that he picks up where he left off in that first letter that he wrote in talking about the lasciviousness or the sinfulness of the age. What was going on there in uh, Corinth in the form of this issue of uh, the sexual immorality that was taking place. Uh, He talks about in chapter number 6, believers were taking each other to court over frivolous things, ridiculous things, crazy things. The courts, God gave us the courts for a reason. But that should not be the first thing that we run to every single time we have a disagreement in the church. In chapter 7, he deals with questions about marriage. He talks about a man and a woman being married. He also deals in chapter 7 about sexuality. If there was ever a day in an age by which we need, what does the Word of God say about sexuality? What does the Bible say about gender? That's today. Man, we are so confused today of our own doing. Man, we have become so intellectual. We have become smarter than our own intelligence. We don't even, what's up is down and what's down is up. I mean, we have absolutely turned this thing on its head. God has a standard. God has a way. He's never deviated from that. He's always the same. He was the same yesterday. He's the same today. He'll be the same forevermore. What he established in the beginning, he will fulfill in the end. He deals with sexuality. He deals with questions about eating food sacrificed to idols in chapters uh, 8 through 10. When I think about, I've heard Christians say, well, uh, you ought not to eat barbecue. And, uh, you don't eat that hoofed foot. You don't eat that, uh, the Bible says. What does the Scripture say about that in the New Testament? Yeah, there was an Old Testament law, but what happened when Jesus came? Can you eat barbecue? Can you eat you a poor boy sandwich and not feel guilty because you had shrimp? <laughs> well, the Bible deals with it. Uh, abuses on the Lord's Supper, chapter number 11. Uh, he deals with issues regarding spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14. Again, remember, the most important thing that the Corinthians were doing is they were worshiping their giftedness. Instead of worshiping God. They cared more about the gifts that God gave than they cared about God. So these were the moral and ethical issues that the Corinthian Christians were having. They had a behavior problem. And we find here that in the text, when you go through the book of Corinthians, you see that from chapter 2 to chapter 15, he deals with these ethical issues. And then in chapter 15, he switches gears and he begins to deal with the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of you and I. So when we look at this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians that we'll look at this morning, we see an introductory, if you would, this introduction 
to the letter that he's going to be writing. And it would seem that there's so much wrong, there's so much uh, difficulty, so many difficulties there in this passage of Scripture or in this book that Paul would just lamb blast them right out of the gate. But that's not what he does. Uh, Paul is a very grace-filled pastor. And he wants what's best for the children of God. And I find it very fascinating as to how he addresses these Corinthians uh, right out of the gate. So if you found your place in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we're going to start in verse 1 and read all the way to verse number 9. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. For those uh, that are in the booth back there, if you don't mind, the first hour they had the notes, if you would, on that screen and right there. Can you put that up for me? Thank you so very much, dear friend. Notice one what the Scripture says. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God and Sotheses, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be upon you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that ye came behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom we were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You may be seated for prayer. Heavenly Father, the best that I know how, Lord, I yield myself to You, only to be used as Your mouthpiece to preach Your Word. I pray that as we study this book over these next few months, help us to be more committed to You. Lord, this morning as we think about the area of thankfulness, committed to being thankful, regardless of what's going on in our world, regardless of what's happening, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. Challenge us from your word, and we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Hide me behind the cross. May I say nothing uh, that you don't want me to say, but may I say everything that you want me to say. And Lord, we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Commitment. Committed to thankfulness. We find here in these first nine verses that Paul is going to talk about this issue about being committed to being thankful. Christian people ought to be the most thankful people in the world. Uh, when people see us, when people recognize us, they, we, ought, we ought to be, they ought to be thankful. We ought to see that we're a thankful people. Um, Miriam and I went on a date while we were gone, and uh, we went to this little restaurant, and uh, uh, we ate our meal, and we had the blessing before the meal, and uh, we were just enjoying fellowship, just her and I together, uh, on, our, on our date night there while we were on vacation, and there was a couple sitting behind her, three people there, uh, uh, obviously a husband, a wife, and maybe a daughter uh, there, and as they were enjoying their meal, well, it was time for me to go. It's time for us to pay the bill, and so we stand to, to leave, and the Waiter comes by and says, uh, need, to make, need to tell you something, your bill's been paid for. And uh, I said, really? He says, yes. I said, uh, by who? So that couple that was sitting right there with their daughter said, they, they picked up the tab for your meal. They come in here all the time. They live in this area. And uh, they said, we've been watching them come in for a long time, but we've never seen them pay for anybody's meal. I don't know what it is about you, uh, but uh, they, they paid for your meal. I said, well, man, that's good. I sure would like to thank him. He said, well, the man did say one thing. 
I said, he did. He said, yeah, he did want me to tell you one thing. I said, well, what was that? The man wanted me to tell you, War Eagle. <laughs> I said, huh. And so I said, he wanted to tell me War Eagle. He said, yeah, he saw your hat. Well, I took off my hat, and I put on my Alabama hat, my Alabama Roll Tide hat on. And so uh, uh, I said, well, just do this. Will you, when you see him again, when they come in, will you please tell him I said thank you? Uh, I was on a date with my wife. I'm a pastor up in Georgia. And would you please, he says, I'll be glad to tell him. I'll be glad to tell him thank you. I said, will you tell him one more thing? I said, yeah, tell him roll tide. <laughs> even, even with perceived enemies, there needs to be thankfulness. We need to be thankful for one another. I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes to this area of thankfulness, we ought to be thankful for each other. We ought to be thankful for Maysville Baptist Church. We ought to be thankful for our staff. We ought to be thankful we've got this wonderful building to meet in. Man, we're thankful for the Word of God. we really got so much to be thankful for. But here's the challenge. Many times, we're not committed to being thankful. A lot of times, we don't know it, but we move. We kind of drift. You know, being ungrateful and being unthankful is like we drift. It's a drift. We drift out a little ways. We drift out. We were sitting, uh, Dan and I were talking uh, to this lady just a couple of days ago. Dan had LASIK surgery, and I drove him. I was his chauffeur while I was on vacation. And so I took him to get his LASIK surgery. And we're sitting there. We're talking to this lady. And this lady was talking about how she had this real traumatic event happen in her life on the beach. She was laying on, a, on a, um, uh, one of these floats out in the water, and she fell asleep. And as she fell asleep, she drifted. And when she finally woke up and was startled, she got caught in the undertow and it just really did some damage to, to her. And she's lucky to be alive. I mean, she really was a miracle that she was alive. But listen, the problem was that she drifted. She didn't know she was drifting. She was relaxed. She was enjoying her vacation. She was out on the water. She was on that float. That happens in our lives. And it can happen in your life. You can drift from a position of thankfulness and gratefulness into a position of ungratefulness and being complaining and always finding something wrong. I'm going to tell you what. If there was anybody that had the opportunity to find something wrong in this church, it was Paul. Paul is going to deal with a plethora of things in the church, in the cor- in church, the church at Corinth that are wrong. But right out of the gate, right from the very beginning, the first thing he says is that I'm thankful for you. As a matter of fact, he says if you're going to be committed to thankfulness, there are three things you can exercise today. There are three things you can do to be thankful today in the arena of thankfulness. What are they? Let me give them to you. Number one, you can be thankful through love. Thankful through love. What I mean by that is you can be a thankful person by loving others. This is Paul's example. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 4. He says, I thank my God always on your behalf. Now let me say something parenthetically there. This is a past tense phrase. He says, man, I have been thanking God for you. I've been thanking God on your behalf. I've been praying for you and I've been thanking God. Thank you, God, for the church at Colossae. I can hear Paul praying on his knees. Thank you for the church at Colossae, God. And then he says this, he goes, For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now I would underline that word grace there. Because the term grace there is loving kindness or affection for someone. A loving kindness or affection for someone. My wife is in this service. Uh, and, I, and she was in the last, so I couldn't use this illustration, but she's in this one. I love my wife. And the way that I love my wife and tell my wife that I love her is vastly different than the way that I love you. 
But I do love you. But the way that I love you is vastly different from the love that I have for my dog. I love my dog. And so I love my dog, I love you, and I love your wife. And those are three different types of love. But they are all a deep love kind of affection that I have. I have an affection for my dog, I have an affection for you, and I have an affection for my little honey over there. So Paul is saying, he says, listen, I have a deep love and affection for you. I long for you. I see who you can be in Jesus Christ. And so, for all that can be seen and heard, you would think that in the family of God, Paul would have so much anger inside of him because of the divisions and the lawsuits and the misuse of the gifts and all of these things that are taking place. Yet, no, you see him as a true pastor. You see him as a a gentle shepherd, a faithful servant of God, a committed Christian. And the first thing he says is, I'm thankful for you. And he demonstrates that love for them by saying, by the grace of God, he's given you grace and because he's extended grace to you I can love you listen to me very carefully whether you like someone or not you were called as a believer to love them but if you want to be like Jesus you got to like them too so you mean to tell me I got to like that homosexual yeah you do have to like them I'm not saying agree with their sin I'm saying you've got to like them and love them listen how in the world will they ever know the truth unless they see the love of Jesus in you What about that family member that you're at war with? I mean, you absolutely hate their guts. You don't want to see them. You don't want to see them for Father's Day. You don't want to see them for Mother's Day. Uh, Regardless of what the occasion is, I'm telling you, here's what bothers me about the Christian faith. We say that we love God. We say that we love Jesus Christ. We say that we're growing in our faith. And we even say this, and you hear me preach it, that we're never more like Jesus than when we're forgiving. When we're forgiving, that's when we're like Jesus Christ. Yet, I'll be John Brown, we will not forgive those people that have hurt us. So, preacher, you're meddling in my business now. And the fact of the matter is you don't know what they've done. Now, let me tell you this. I know, what, I know what the people did in my life that hurt me. I know what they did to me. And I know how they hurt me. And I know this too. I never got the victory in my life because they were going to bed and they weren't thinking anything about the hurt that they caused me, but I was going to bed with it every night. And until I released that, until I released it and got forgiveness for that and seen that I'm the one that fought, then I never had the victory. Look, my dad checked out on me before I was even born. I mean, checked out on me. Had some beer, smoked some wacky weed, got in the back seat of a 15-year-old girl. Nine months later, hello world, here I am, like it or not. Where's daddy? He ain't there. He wasn't there to change my diaper. He wasn't there to hear me say the first words. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. He didn't show up. He didn't show up until I was 23 years old. Now I had a choice to make. I could either hate him the rest of my life or I could show him the love of Jesus. With, God, with God's help. With God's help I loved him. It wasn't anything in of myself. You asked my wife. She lived it with me. I said, bless God, I ain't going to have anything to do with him. Well, that's Christian, isn't it? I mean, I mean that's where we live. I ain't going to... I ain't going to go see him. I ain't going to write him no letter. I ain't, he, 23 years old. Wait till I get to be a grown man. want to have a baby. Now he wants to have something to do with me. I ain't doing it. I ain't having nothing to do with it. He'll have to contact me. I ain't contacting him. And go to the mailbox and there's a letter from him. God's just beating on my heart. So I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. 
you are going to forgive him. And you are going to love him. And you are going to have a relationship with him. You are going to be set free from this. You see, I found myself in great bondage that day. But when I finally surrendered it to God and said, God, I'm going to forgive my dad. I forgive him. I forgive him for checking out on my life. I forgive him for not being a part. I forgive him for not being there and teaching me how to drive. I forgive him for not teaching me how to ride my bike. I forgive him for all that. And then I got set free. Listen, you want to get set free today? Then stop being so ungrateful. And start being thankful for forgiveness. And move into an arena of thankfulness. You see, Paul was looking at this church and he was, had so much to be ungrateful for. But he chose to be thankful first and foremost for the sheep. The Bible says the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And what we find here in this text is we find that Paul is saying, Look, I know you're dirty wool, but I love you anyways. I love you regardless of who you are. He starts with grace. He leads with grace. He leads with encouragement. He leads with hope. Uh, He sees that they're immature, but he also knows that they're beautiful. He sees that they're critical, but he also sees that they're gifted. He knows that they're sinners, but he also sees them filled with grace. He has this genuine love for this church, and he feels responsible for them to the point that he possesses joy for them, and he loves them with all the capacity that's in him. Why does he do this? How can you do this? How can this grace be so evident? Notice what he says in verse 4. He says that the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ. See, Paul realizes that the grace that was given to him on that Damascus road is the same grace that the church has. And even though that they're having all these issues, all these challenges, all these problems, regardless of the difficulties that the church has in their life, he loves them anyways. So here's the question. How do we exemplify thankfulness today? How do you appropriate this, Pastor? How do you put this in our lives today? How do you have thankfulness through love today? How can we do that? Well, let me first of all say it this way. You can start by by not being a negative Nancy. Or a critical Chris. Or a dumpy Doug. Now, if your name is Nancy, Chris, or Doug, I'm not picking on you. Those are just alliterations that came to my mind. But here's what you can do. Number one, you can pray for your church and your pastor. Pray for your church and your pastor. Now, look, don't brush this off and don't just say amen. I really want you to think about it. When's the last time you really prayed for this church? When's the last time you really prayed for Maysville Baptist Church? Can I ask you this? When's the last time you prayed for me? When's the last time you prayed for your pastor? Several years ago, I was preaching a message, and at the end of the message, it was a Sunday night. A couple came through that would visit our church on occasion. and And the husband came through first, and I was standing outside and I was shaking hands and he's coming through and and he stopped and he says I just want you know I prayed for you today pastor I said thank you he says it every time I mean every time he comes he tells me that thank you so much sir thank you I appreciate that and off he went well a couple of people later his wife comes through comes through and she shakes my hand and she says "Uh, did my husband come through I said yeah he's so sweet he always tells me he prays for me she said I don't think you understand I said well what, what do you mean? 
She says at 4 o'clock every morning, he gets out of bed. And he's got a little chair by the window. And he won't sit in it. He kneels in front of that chair and he puts his hands in his face. And he says, I wake up and I hear him. And he's praying for you. He's not even a member of my church. I mean, he only comes occasionally. And so I said, well, why? Why does he pray for me? She said, I don't know why he prays for you. <laughs> you ain't even his pastor. I said, I know. Why? That's what I'm thinking. She said, but somehow God has put you on his heart. And he's praying for you. I'm going to tell you what. That's a big comfort to this preacher's heart. To know somewhere in Carroll County there's a man that ain't a member of this church, ain't a member of my previous church. He's a member at another church. But every morning at 4 o'clock, he's praying for me. Maybe that's why I didn't get a ticket on a double red flag day. (laughs) I don't know. It could be. When's the last time you prayed for me? You need to pray for your pastor. I'm telling you, he needs it. And he's attacked every day. Every day the devil's trying to kill him. Every day the devil's trying to destroy him. He needs your prayers. Your staff needs your prayers. Man, you know what? Uh, You look around, you you think about the people that got saved this week. Baptism today. Man, this just doesn't happen everywhere. And you think about what God's doing and how God's moving in this place. I'm telling you, the devil would love to destroy this. He'd love to destroy the evangelism that's going out from this church. He would love to destroy the biblical preaching that's coming out from this place. And how in the world will he do that? This is what, just watch. He'll do it through complacency and self-centeredness. If he can move you from the position of, God, thank you for that young boy that was baptized, that middle school boy that was, but thank you for Tyler's baptism today. If he can move you from that to, well, there's another, just another baptism, just another baptism. No. No, we need to be excited about that. We need to celebrate that. We need to rejoice. Men, there are churches that will not have one little boy or one little girl baptized this year. And yet we see people baptized and saved, saved and baptized regularly around here. I'm telling you, God's at work in this place. But He will absolutely, absolutely uh, remove His hand from us if we become critical. Uh, we talk about the book of Revelation. talks about removing the candlestick. Man, I don't want to remove the candlestick. Our influence. Also, what about our self-centeredness? Only care about ourselves. No, listen, the reason why Paul wrote this letter is because he had an other's mentality. God wants you to have an other's mentality. And if you have an other's mentality, then you're going to be thinking about and loving others. So pray for the church. Pray for your pastor. Number two, get involved in ministry. Um, If you haven't already received a call from my staff or from your staff here at the church, you will. Man, this staff's going to be called and asking you to serve as a teacher or... uh, Help in some area of ministry. Can I ask you this? What area of ministry are you serving in? God didn't save you just to sit down and listen to messages. God didn't save you just to sit and soak. No, God wants you to serve. God wants us to come together and actively be involved in worship and then leave this place and serve in an area of ministry. What area of ministry are you serving in? So, well, I hadn't found it yet. Well, could it be because you're not looking? Maybe you're just happy sitting there on Sunday mornings. Dear friend, we've got to move from a position of happiness and be in a position of helpfulness and see others through the ministry and get involved in what what God's doing here. 
mean, you realize that uh, the nursery department has taken over just about this whole floor. If we, if we don't do something, we're gonna, and we're creative, we're trying to have creative means as to what to do next. If, if we continue to grow at the rate that we're going, we're going to be pushed out of our office space. We're going to have to have some trailers out here, and we'll be having our offices in trailers because the nursery and the preschool department is going to take this over. Someone stopped me today and said, Pastor, said, uh, you know, we had a couple of babies born already this week in the church. I'm telling you, y'all keep drinking the water. Y'all keep having the babies. Keep adding to the church. We'll meet in trailers if we need to. Whatever needs to happen, just praise God for that. Number three, support the ministries of the church. Support the ministries of the church. If you want to live a life and be an example of thankfulness through love, then verbally support the ministries of the church. Believe and, and buy into the fact that we do have the best Sunday school teachers around. We do have the best Sunday school around. We need new Sunday school teachers. We need it. And talk about it. Share with it. Share. Listen, wherever I go, people, when they realize uh, that I'm the pastor at Maysville Baptist Church, or they begin to ask questions like this. I mean, we've heard about your church. We've heard about that. We, man, it's amazing what we hear coming out of a little town called Maysville. It is absolutely amazing. It's only the hand of God. And when we stop trusting in Him and start trusting in us, we're in trouble. So I'm telling you, as God is my witness, we need your help. God's called you to preach. He's called you to teach. He's called you to help, and He wants you to do so. So we find here that we can support the ministries verbally. We can also support the ministries financially. Man, I thank God we had a, a gift that was given to this building out here for $100,000. And you may be here today and say, that's ah, ugly. That building's ugly out there. Well, so is every building project that takes place. Especially if you're doing it on cash. Well, bless God, it ain't happening fast enough. Let me tell you why it ain't happening fast enough. Because you're not giving fast enough. When you do something on cash and you're watching our debt go down, and our debt is going down, we're, we are almost below $100,000. Remember where we were at three and a half years ago? We were at $2.4 million in debt, and now we are almost under a million dollars. I'm telling you, we are knocking it out. As God, God is my witness, through your faithfulness, God's doing great and mighty and wonderful things. But the moment we start complaining, God says, oh, I'm done with that. Done with it. Support the ministries. Uh, several years ago, I was preaching a message uh, very similar to this, and uh, I gave an invitation. And man, some folks come and be saved. This is a Sunday morning. Folks come and be inside. I was working the altars. I was there in the altars. I was working the altars. Folks were coming. A gentleman come, come from this direction. I come over here to meet him, and I shook his hand. And as I shook his hand, he wanted to be saved. Well, listen to this, Keith. This is a true story. The man wanted to be saved. I needed help because there were people behind him coming. Sitting right here, you would sit right here at our previous church, was a retired pastor. Right there. I turned to that retired pastor and I said, Charles, you'll love this. You, Charles has never done this. Never, ever, ever. But this, this particular pastor did. I said, will you help me? This guy wants to be one to Jesus. Without, without missing a beat, the man pointed his finger in my face and said, that's your job. You tell me what part of thankfulness is that. I got a man wanting to be born again. People behind him wanting to be saved. Yet he says, that's your job? No, that's our job. We're all called to make disciples. So listen, you better get in the game. Because what we're doing is we're trying to make more room. As God makes provision, 
to win one more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thankfulness through love. Number two. You look, it's been two weeks since I preached. Y'all know I'm not going to get through this whole message. Y'all know that? Okay. As long as we know it. I'll give you the points. I'm not going to make it through the whole thing. Uh, Verse 5 and 6. And by the way, I've already preached it twice. I didn't make it through the other two times either. Here's the second point. Thankfulness through grace. Thankfulness through grace. Here's another example. Notice what he says in verse uh, 5 and 6. He says that in everything you are enriched by him. In all utterance and in all knowledge. Now, there's a couple of things you need to mark there. Number one is that word enriched. The word enriched there means to make wealthy. He says, what he's saying is, I'm thankful for you, church. Out of all, you got all these challenges happening in Corinth. But I'm thankful for you, not only through love. I have a deep loving kindness for you. But because of God's grace that he shed down upon you. I'm thankful for that. And there's two areas in particular that God shared His grace with you. And that's where that word enriched comes in. Because that word enriched there means to make wealthy. He says, you are extremely wealthy in two areas. One is a positive, one is a negative. What do you mean? Look at what those areas are. He says, number one, in all utterance. The word utterance there is where we get our English word uh, speech. He's, He's talking about their proclamation of the gospel. This is a positive thing. He says, man, you guys can preach the gospel. You're not afraid to preach the gospel. You're not afraid to give a public invitation. You guys, uh, you, you know what you're doing, man. You're bold. Uh, you, you confess. You sing. I mean, it just, it's amazing. That's a positive thing. And he says, in all knowledge. Now, knowledge is a backhanded slap in the face to him. Now, the reason why it's a backhanded slap in the face to him is because it's knowledge that's not appropriated. He's saying that you got a lot of stuff in here, but you don't let it settle down in here, and that way it will not be fleshed out in your life. You see, when you have knowledge and you come alongside that knowledge with understanding, then that produces wisdom. He doesn't speak about understanding. He only speaks about knowledge. He says, you guys know a lot about gifts, But you don't know a lot about God. And you're not appropriating that in your life. And so because of that, you do not live a life of wisdom. That's why you've got all these problems in the church. You're not fleshing out the truth. You love your giftedness more than you love your God. So Paul is not trying to correct their behavior through building up their self-esteem. No, what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, love God more. And if you love God more, you'll get everything else right. Uh, This is right where we live today. In a recent uh, article that was reported, uh, it says that students are more likely than ever to call themselves gifted in the area of knowledge while their test scores drop over the course of their schooling. Really what's happening, and this has been confirmed, we are living in a culture of narcissism. Uh, We are filled with narcissists. Narcissists are those that want to be worshipped to their own self. Nobody's smarter than you. You're the smartest person in the room. You know everything there is to know about everything. But you look at your life and you can't hold squat together. That was hard, wasn't it? I didn't get a big amen on that one. I may need to go back and rewrite that. But it's true. I mean, We think we know everything there is to know about anything. Bless God, we, you look at the books, and we, we come from monkeys. Hey, look at me. Smart. 
We retrieved it back all the way down to Neanderthal man, we monkeys. Up from the ooze we arose. I don't understand. You know, Romans says, professing ourselves to be wise, we became as fools. And we've changed the glory of God and began to worship the creature more than the creator. And we say we're smart. I'm telling you, we have been educated far beyond our own intelligence. Uh, we we look at you look at Solomon's life. Solomon he's the best one to look at through this course. Solomon was eat up with narcissism. Man, he absolutely went round and around and around and around until he finally threw his hands up and said, "You know what? What I know is this: the God that I worshipped when I was young is the God that I need to get back to. And I might not understand it all. I don't understand it all, but I'm going to walk by faith with God." So Paul is encouraging him there. These folks to do the same. And the only way we do that is through the grace that God has given us. Notice verse number 6 again. He says, even as the testimony was confirmed in you. Listen, he says this. Even though you're abusing the gifts, even though you're abusing everything in your life, you're taking people to court, it looks like the church, if you will, it looks like the church is really not born again. It looks like you guys are a country club. Even though that be true, it is not true. You are truly saved. Look at what it says in the text. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that word confirm means solid, said I might look at you and I see that you don't look like Christ, but the testimony of you trusting Christ is true and the potential is still there you just need to get right with God that's what he says number three I'm going to give you this one I mean I'm calling like crazy here's the last one thankfulness through hope verse 7, 8, and 9 look at what he says so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you. That word confirm there means to establish. Who also established you. By the way, let me say this parenthetically. It's a past tense verb. It's something that happened in the past. What he's saying is, there was a time in your life in the, in the past, somewhere when I was there, Paul says, I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. You received that gospel. That is, you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You responded by giving your heart to Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. You confessed with your mouth and you believed in your heart. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ established you. He confirmed you. It's speaking of a solidification, a solidness. Something that happened in your life that sealed the deal. He's talking about salvation. And by the way, if Jesus Christ saved you, it's his responsibility to keep you. Look at it. Right there it is in the text. He says, so that, no, so that you come behind in no gift. You got the gifts. God's given you gifts. You're gifted in it of God. And you're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall also confirm or who has established, who also established you. In, at the, to the, until the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He just simply says, if God saves you, He's the one that keeps you, and He'll keep you to the very end. And then look at what He says there in the, in the verse number 9. God is faithful. That is, it's not based upon your faithfulness. It's on Him. God is faithful. Really, the bottom line is just simply this. If God could save you 
and then you could fall out of that salvation, then that means you've got a part of salvation. And according to the Word of God, it's Him that's faithful, not you. And if He's faithful, and if He does the confirming, if He does the calling, if He does the establishing, if He's the one that the Scripture says that you are in Christ, and Christ is in God, and nothing shall separate us from the love of God. No man can strip you from God's hand. If He's dealing with salvation on that, then why? Why on earth could we think, according to the Word of God, that you could lose something that you couldn't even get? He gave it to you. It was a gift. I, uh, that couple that bought our meal, I couldn't pay for the meal. Bless God, if I wanted to, I couldn't pay for it. David, I, it's already been paid. I, I couldn't do anything. So you could pay for the next one. Well, that was a party of like 15, and I just really didn't want to pay for that meal. I just really it was bad. <laughs> but, but they paid for the meal, and there's nothing else I could do about it. Except thank them. Tell them I said thank you the next time you see them. Dear friend, when Jesus Christ saved you, He's faithful to keep you. Look at what He says in verse 9. He he finishes up. God is faithful by whom, oh this is good, ye were called. That word called there is where we get our English word to be included. Uh, it's the mental picture, uh, if you would, of being together in inclusion, uh, to being together as a body, to be not having one without the other. We've got us all together. My, my family, we weren't together this, um, this trip. We were missing somebody, Alyssa. Alyssa's a counselor uh, at Camp Glisten this year, and she's there for nine weeks, and so uh, we went on vacation without her, and it was fun and all, but you know, it was always like somebody's missing. Where, where's, where's Melissa's? I'm missing. Uh, he says here in the, in the Word of God, you ain't missing. If you've been born again, you're a child of God, and you're blameless regardless of the sin that's in your life. Well, we fail to remember that First John was written to all of us because sin is still evident in this world, but it doesn't have the victory over us. He says, by whom you were called, you were included, watch this, unto the, f- unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So out of all the problems the Corinthians had, out of all the challenges the church at Corinth had, Paul begins his letter by saying, I'm committed to being thankful for you. And I'm committed to that thankfulness because I love you. I'm showing grace, the same grace that God showed to you. And the hope that God is coming again. He's coming. Look at the text again. Notice what he says there. He says, awaiting for the coming of our Lord, whom shall also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus is coming. And I want to help you get ready. So I'm thankful for you. Now, after this... He's going to make an appeal that everybody be together in unity. And then he's going to start hitting away at the moral issues of the day. But before he does that, the first thing that he wants them to know is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Are you ready to meet him? Can I ask you that same question this morning? Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming soon. Are you ready to meet the Lord? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, Maybe you're here, 
And maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Dear friend, why not you do the same thing that that dear, precious woman did today in that 930 service? Why don't you surrender? Why don't you stop trying to save yourself? And let Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice for your sin, why don't you let him save you today? So how might I do that, preacher? Well, the Bible says in first, over in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So today, dear friend, if you're here, and you'd like to be saved, why don't you say something like this to the Lord in faith? Just say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I ask you to save me. I believe that you are the Messiah. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. 